The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. That we are in the midst of a profound spiritual battle. That it is important for me and for our church to keep preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that you understand it cognitively, that you get it, that you hear it and that you understand it, that you reason it well within your mind, uh, that you can articulate it well, that you read good books uh, about this beautiful theology. And it's important for us to continue to do that. But oh, how important it is to take that knowledge and to drive it home into the depths of our hearts. That we don't just believe these things cognitively, that we don't just understand them in our minds, and, but not experience them within the very core of our being in our hearts and our emotions uh, to recognize these truths. Because I was reminded again of something I knew But it just becomes somewhat complacent to. And that is that there is an enemy of you and of me, of all of God's children, who hates you, profoundly hates you. And he profoundly hates the reality that he lost you. That he used to have you under his dominion and power. He used to have you within his family. And God, the supreme judge and power in all of the universe, through the power of Christ and the gospel, changed that. And took all of God's, like his chosen, his ones, his children from all ages and all times. And moved them powerfully against the will of the evil one. Away from him into God's new family. And do you know what Satan thinks about that? He ain't happy, folks. And what he knows is this. I can't get them back. I can't bring them out of God's family back into mine. But I can sure... As hell is real, I can sure make their lives miserable. I can convince them of lies. I can convince them to live uh, as if there is no heaven, as if there is no truth. And I can negate them at least. I can't win them, but I can negate them. And you woke up this morning in the middle of that spiritual and cosmic battle, whether you recognized it or not. Paul has been teaching throughout Romans and Andrew did a great job last week of recapping and reintroducing these truths to us, especially the truth of justification by faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone. The entire reason uh, that the Protestant church exists today is for that truth that Martin Luther Uh, that John Huss, that Savonarola, uh, that other men and women of the faith were willing to die and be burned at the stake to come under torture and suffering. For they didn't realize what they were doing at the time, but what they were doing was preserving the truth of God's Word so that we could come today and unfortunately for so many of us take it so lightly. That they said, no, I'm willing to die. I am willing to lose everything in this life because I believe that it is not by works but by grace. 
that I believe it is the alien and foreign righteousness of Jesus Christ which is imputed and given to me that is my only hope and my only ground. And in that, I am declared by God, the ultimate judge of the universe, that I am perfectly righteous in Him and that is my identity from now on. Amen? Oh, I hope that we'll fight that for the generations that we don't know yet. That we, in the ease of American evangelicalism, in the ease of the American church, when everything comes easy and we experience flea bites of persecution. I've never been persecuted, honestly. I've never watched a loved one of mine die in front of me because they stood for Jesus and looked me in the eye and said, keep standing. Keep looking to Jesus as they died in front of me. I've never experienced that, but brothers and sisters of ours around the world are experiencing it today, as a matter of fact, at this very moment. And the evil one has neutered the American church to a degree that we don't recognize who we are. And just as the same as it would have been in World War II, that Hitler and the Axis powers were terrified of the sleeping giant, the sleeping lion of America to rise up Satan is terrified if the American church would ever rise up and get past politics and get past divisions and party lines and actually step into the fray and say, I am going to fight today for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my own life. And as that flows out of me, I'm going to be a blessing to all of those who I am around. And I'm going to go into the world as an incredibly different person in the world because I know who I am. And folks, you've been under the leadership of a pastor for four years who hasn't been convinced of that. But I am today. And I want our church and I want my life to be different. To still believe those same truths. To understand them. To articulate them. But to live it in such a way that shakes the very foundations of hell itself. Because here's what the evil one knows about you. If you ever get this and start living out of it, he is in deep weeds. He's in trouble. And for so many of us, and Paul understood this because he's been preaching justification, 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 legal standing, positional identity with God. And then all of a sudden, right here in chapter 8, where we are, he swings it around. And he says, oh, by the way, the judge who just forgave you all of your sins, who crushed his own son, and now has accounted his righteousness as your righteousness, is also your dad. He adopted you. He's your father. And he's not just an appeased judge. But he is a pleased father. Oh, wouldn't that change your hearts? Oh, how long in our lives we have worked so desperately to make our, heaven, our earthly fathers look at us and go, you've got what it takes. You're worth something, buddy. Little one, I love you. I dote on you. Just because. And we've worked and we've worked and we've worked. And I was reminded this week of words that I wrote 20 years ago, maybe 15. I had a great dad. I remember writing words about 15 years ago that said, how long am I going to try to gain the approval of a dead father? My dad died in 1992. And I've worked so hard to gain his approval. 
thinking that somehow there's a portal from heaven. And he's looking down and he's going, okay, that's a good day. That was a good, good job, bud. And it wasn't until I realized, I actually have my father's full approval, but that doesn't matter. Because whose approval really matters is my God and my king and my judge and my dad who says, Bill, you're awesome. Because I say you're awesome. Not because of what you did or didn't do, but because I declare it so. And that I adopted you and I've made you my child. And I've invited you to my table to dine in my living room. That you have full and uninhibited access to me whenever you want it. That there is nothing that is too small for me to care about from a set of lost keys to cancer. I care about it because it matters to you. And you matter to me. Oh, Paul got it. The Romans must have been going, whoa, whoa, what? We got the legal stuff. Now we've got to get the relational stuff. And for some of you, you're probably going, oh, here comes the touchy-feely. Great. You men are going, I'm not, I'm not. And you women are going, come on, honey. Listen to this stuff. I've been trying to get you. And you're going to go, if he cries, then I'm really out. And, uh, but God, through Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, is pursuing your heart. And that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time today dealing with. Of dealing with the reality and the truth that you have been adopted by God as your father. He is now your father. You are his beautiful daughter and his beautiful son. And he loves you and celebrates you. Now for some of you, that is incredibly hard for you to hear because you didn't have a really good earthly dad. And I know that. For some of you, your earthly father didn't protect you as he was supposed to. Maybe he even abused you, wounded you profoundly and deeply. For some, maybe you still, like me, hear the echoes of a dad who you just weren't quite sure whether he celebrated you. You knew he loved you, but you weren't convinced that he celebrated you. And so this may be difficult, and you're having to wrestle, but I invite you into the wrestle to hear and see beyond your earthly father. And I'm not going to get him off the hook and say he did the best he could. Some of them didn't. Some of them intentionally did incredibly evil things. But we look past our heavenly, our earthly fathers. And we have to see our heavenly father. And we gain our understanding through his word, through his spirit, of who he is and what he says. And that's where we are today. As we jump into Romans chapter 8. And we look at these few short verses of verse 12 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, would you add now your blessing to your word. Send your spirit that we would know more deeply and profoundly. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Folks, there's a problem. There's a massive problem that humanity faces. And the problem that humanity faces, and it doesn't even recognize, and you might not even recognize this about yourself, previous to coming to Christ, you were part of another family. You had a different lineage, you had a different head, you had a different father. And you may not recognize that, and we don't recognize that about the world very often. But you see, Christ said in John chapter 8, he said he makes it plain that those who do not believe in him and do not come to him do so because the devil rather than God is their father. He says they don't accept these things, they don't come to me because of their father who is the devil. He's saying there is a different headship. That because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the fall, because Adam and Eve as historic figures, not as myth, not as legend, but historic figures who actually lived, who believed the original lie that God was unable to be trusted, that God did not have their best interest in mind, that God was holding back something, but they believed the lie of Satan. And when they ate of the tree, it says that they died. And what also happened within that as they were cast out of Eden, they became lineage, not of God the Father, but of the evil one. And so they were part of a different family. John Gerstner, the great Presbyterian pastor and pulpiteer out of Pittsburgh, said these words, the first problem that we have with being adopted into God's family is that we are born into another family and we are not up for adoption. As a matter of fact, our father is very much opposed to our adoption and does everything he possibly can to keep us where we were born and to see that nobody takes us from him. And if some of you are shocked, Gerstner goes on, to know that you are children of the devil and members of his household and that he has a very formidable grip on you and will by no means let you go if he can possibly prevent it, it, will, it is just as well that you should know the worst from the start. Well, if you've ever heard Gerstner thunder from the pulpit, oh, those words. And the reality that we are part of, prior to Christ, that we are part of a different family, that humanity, all of humanity in the fall, was a part of a different family with a different father. And to make it real, think of it this way. If you have children, and someone today comes knocking on your door, and says, I demand your son. I'm taking him and I'm adopting him as my own. Now, there's moments you may want that to happen. But on most other moments, you would say, not a chance. He's my child. Not a chance. She's my daughter. She's not up for adoption. And if he tried to push his way into your house, there would be a very large problem, I imagine, that you would defend at all costs the lives of your children against any and all comers, correct? Absolutely. Satan is no different. And he holds sway over so many in the world. And it says that he is their father. And Colossians 1 says that in we, 
were once alienated and hostile in mind. We were a part of that family. Romans 5.10 says that in and part of that family we were enemies of God. All because that in Adam and Eve the relationship with God was broken and fractured. And that we became not fatherless. I always used to think that. That we were fatherless. We just had a different and evil father. Ah. But what's the hope then? That's the predicament of humanity. And I hope it begins to shade and begins to color how you view the world around you. There is a world that is under power of an incredibly evil father. If you've ever known someone and you've seen them and they have a family of origin and it's an evil family, what does it ride? What wells up within you? A desire to go into that family and to take that child out of the abuse, to take that child out of that cesspool, to take that child out of that place and to bring them into your family, to give them love and care and tenderness because they are so overwhelmed and they're stuck in there and the child has no rights and the child can't on his or her own leave. They're under the dominion of the father. Guess what? God saw that same problem. And the solution is this. God determined that he was going to adopt as many as he determined to do. And that he was going through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to crush the dominion of the evil one over all of those who he determined to save. And that he knew this about Satan. He may be a formidable foe for me and you, but he is nothing to God. And that Christ came and said, you want to hold me? You can't. You can kill me for a day and two and three, but I will rise on the third day. And as I go, I am going to take captive all of those whom I determined. I'm going to give life and call sons and daughters to all of those to whom the Father has given me. And they are going to be adopted into my Father's family. And they are going to stand as fellow heirs with me of all the blessings of heaven itself. They are going to be given a signet ring and a robe and a dignity. And they are going to stand equal with me in one sense as I am their elder brother. And they are now brothers and sisters of mine. And I will defend them at all costs. One of my great memories of my boys was a moment when my two oldest were really young and we were at a party and I was sitting with my oldest and my middle son got pushed down by another big kid across the room. And Will turned. He was three. He bowed up. He headed across the room. And he stood in front of that bully's face who was larger than him and said, don't touch my brother. Ha ah, ha. Proud dad moment. In my fallen self, I wanted him to go. <laughs> make a little exclamation point. But, but children, that would be wrong. That would be wrong for you to do. Avoided about 30 emails on that one. <laughs> so Christ now is our elder brother who wants to defend us and care for us. So here's God's solution to the problem of humanity. And the solution to the problem of humanity is his adoption. And it says this in Romans 5, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Dad, Pops, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness 
with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. Galatians 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, the former family. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Christ, our elder brother, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. Adoption is sons, and because you are sons, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. In Ephesians 1, in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us. Do you want to know why God adopted you? Because he's gracious and merciful, and it was his choice to do so. He didn't look into the future and go, that would be a pretty good one, that one wouldn't. Oh, well, that one, I think I've got some possibilities in that one, so I'll choose them, I'll love them. No, based on absolutely nothing within ourselves, God, rich in mercy, chose to love us and adopt us as sons and daughters, full heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Man. For you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Through your elder brother, who was so incredibly gracious that he was willing to divide his inheritance with you. You realize that. For us to be adopted, it cost Christ something. The elder brother was the one who should have gained the full inheritance of all of heaven. And he said, Dad... I want everyone to have a part of it who comes and is a part of this family. Ah, that's good stuff. That preaches, huh? Man, doesn't that resonate somewhere within your soul? To hear today that God, by His divine choice and by His divine love and by His divine mercy, has determined from before the foundation of time to adopt you as His son and as His daughter and to dote on you and to care for you and to love you, not to just make you in right standing with Him, but to make you his child. Folks, this hits at the heart. You've got to drive this truth down into your heart. You've got to drive it down and begin to live out of that reality. But here's the problem. Here's the big problem. I've got to really move fast, so we're going to be here a while. I love you. So. Here's the problem. There is a battle that's going on within us. Because that evil one, as we said, he can't win you back. But he can do everything in his power to try to negate you. If he can convince you to believe a lie. If he can convince you to believe half-truths. If he can convince you to doubt the Father's love. To doubt the Father's assurance of you. To doubt who you are. If he can get that to take root within your heart. He realizes that at some level he's won the war. I was reminded this week 
of Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And the evil one, Satan, is prowling around, and he is trying to sow seeds of doubt and of lies, just flat-out lies, into your heart, that you would believe these things about yourself, and you would believe these things about your Father in heaven, and you wouldn't believe the right things about yourself or the right things about your Father in heaven, because he recognizes this, I can't steal the heart, but I can pollute it. And if I can pollute the heart, then what is going to flow out of that polluted heart is polluted water. And that everybody who comes in contact with me out of my polluted heart is going to drink polluted water. And I'm not going to be able to give life to my wife. I'm not going to be able to give life to my children. I'm not going to be able to give life to this church and to my friends and to my community because it's been polluted at its core. And so I'll be working out of a place not of sonship, I won't be working out of place of adoption, but I'll be working out of a place of fear and of shame and of guilt and of all of those things, and it will pollute my water so that everybody who comes to me and tries to drink, I'm not going to have much to give to them. It's going to be flint on a cosmic scale. That's the battle that's taking place. And here's what that battle may look like. I'm going to try to put some words for it, and I'm indebted to the ministry Uh, of, I guess it used to be uh, World Harvest Mission, I don't remember what their new name is, but World Harvest Mission and Jack Miller, Dr. Jack Miller at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he wrote this, and maybe this will resound, this will hit with you. When you begin to believe those lies, this is the mentality that you have as an orphan. You begin to live as an orphan. Your focus is this, your focus is on sin and on self. You are focused on your successes and your failures. All you see are all of your bad qualities. You see your idols, you see lust, you see anger, you see pride and gossip and laziness. All of Satan's accusations against you, they burn and they sizzle deep. How many of you, if you don't believe that, how many of you, I speak of, I call it my uh, mirror theology, how many of you this morning as you woke up and you stood in front of your mirror went, oh yeah, (laughs) the righteousness of God in human form, loved and endeared by my Father in heaven before all ages and beyond all ages to come, he loves me, he loves you fella, and he dotes on you, and you're awesome. Anybody this morning start that way? Why not? Because you believe a lie. That you woke up this morning and you realize that you have blemishes. And if you realized your physical blemishes, how much more does Satan remind you of your spiritual blemishes? Really, you're going to go to church after you did that last night? You're going to walk into church after you just yelled at your kids to be quiet in the car and to buck up because we've got to put on a good face because we're going to church, Junior. And you and your wife haven't spoken for three days. That you're riddled with guilt. That's the focus. And the conclusions that you come to in that orphan mentality is this. This is who I really am. My sins and my problems and my bad habits, they define me. That my successes and or my failures, they define me. I am just the sum total of what I've done. That that's who I am. And I wonder why Paul doesn't start all of his letters to all the sinners in Rome, unholy and disobedient, anger and wrath from God the judge. 
and you respond in this way. At the exposure or the threat of the exposure of your sin, you become despondent and defiant and defensive. You try to avoid the pain of exposure by covering up your sin, that you have totally forgotten who you are in Christ. You give intellectual assent to who you are in Christ, but it is only positional, and it will really only be true when you get to heaven. Others? Well, you have to project your view of yourself onto others. Because if this is how you feel about yourself, you have to see the faults in other people. They can't be far down the road than you. You can't handle that. It's too much for you to handle. And so you have to bring them down. And like you, their sin defines them and who they really are. And you gossip about them. And who they are in Christ is only incidental to you. Ah. So many of you are going, how did you know that? So many of you are thinking, did somebody tell you what I've been thinking? Yeah, someone did. The Holy Spirit who said, Bill, this is how you think a lot. Because this is the attack of the evil one that tries to convince me that who I am is just the sum total of what I do or don't do. And that my position and my identity in Christ is only incidental. Ah, But here is an heir's mentality, a child, a son, a daughter of the king. Here is this mentality in this cycle of belief versus the cycle of unbelief. The focus, I'm focused on Christ. I see Christ and his righteousness, his perfection, his obedience, and the Father's delight in him. And I rejoice in these gifts. I am a new creation. I'm adopted by the king. I am an heir of heaven itself. And when Satan's accusations come, and they will, they fizzle and die in the sea of the gospel. Like a firecracker as a kid, and you threw into the pond, and it went, boom. It just fades and fizzles. And the conclusions that you draw from that focus are this. I conclude, therefore, this is who I really am. Christ's righteousness, his obedience, his perfection, they define me. That I know now why Paul starts all of his letters to the saints who are in Rome. Holy and faithful grace and peace to you from God our Father. I am then responding with joy. My heart believes that I'm perfect and accepted. Based on this truth. I can now begin to admit to the flesh instead of hiding it, instead of revising my record, instead of blaming, judging, trying to build good karma or indulging in sin, I repent of my sinful nature because I am working out of a place not of shame which says that I am bad, but out of a place of convictions that says I did a bad thing but that doesn't define me, therefore I can repent and move on and claim the victory of Christ. And believing who I am in Christ leads me to repentance. And to others, I view others in the same way. Like me, Christ's righteousness defines who they are. And their sins, they're incidental to my view of them. I'll call a sin a sin. I'll challenge a brother or a sister in that. But that doesn't define them. What defines them is that they are my brother or my sister in Christ, bought with an incredible price, 
just like me. So do you see those cycles? Which one do you find yourself living in more? For most of you and most of us, we live in the cycle of the orphan, the cycle of unbelief. There's a battle going on. So what's the key to victory? And we'll wrap up here. Here's the key to victory. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we would also, uh, then the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what is the winning battle? It's this. The Holy Spirit has taken root within you and he fights on your behalf. Isn't that good news? So that when you begin to believe that lie, say, no, no, Spirit, help. You know what else you have to help win this battle? You have this group of people who we call the church. That this week, when I was wrestling with something, and I was beginning to believe a lie, I called a friend, and I said, this is what I'm beginning to believe. And he said, I'm with you. I'm with you. And he began to call out of me truth and glory of who I am in Christ, reminding me of these truths. Because we work out of shame, we work out of this brokenness, we work out of this place, and we need the brethren, we need the body of Christ to act like the body of Christ. And instead of going, what, really McCutcheon? Again with that? To come along and say, Bill, you've forgotten who you are. And to speak life into me, and me into you. Do you have those people in your world? I hope so. And at times, you get to a place where you're just on your knees, and all you can do is groan. Paul has an answer for that in Romans, where his spirit testifies with our spirit with groanings too deep for words. You ever been in a place of such pain and loss, of such bondage to the lies of the evil one that all you can do is just go, oh. You know what God understands? Oh. Isn't that awesome? He understands, oh, oh, and the Spirit comes and goes, I know just what you're talking about, and I'm going to minister to you right there, and I'm equal with God the Father and equal with God the Son, for I am the third person of the Trinity, full of power and full of grace, and I'm coming, and I'm pervading into your life, and I'm going to spring forth life out of you now, and I'm going to cleanse your heart, and I'm going to give you clean water. And you can drink from it, and all those who come around you can drink from it. Isn't that good news? It's good news. Folks, you're invited to a table today of that elder brother who said, you are worth my life. You are worth my crushing. You are worth the pain that I experienced for my father turning away from me so that he will never turn away from you. And he invites you to this table. Oh, what wondrous love is this. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and we give you glory today. We ask that you would bless us with your presence afresh and anew. For some who are wrestling deeply right now, I pray that they would hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to them, reminding to them, calling them out. Father, for some who may still be under the headship of the evil one, I pray that you now by your power would break into their lives and drag them out of that family with force. And you would clothe their nakedness and you would clothe their shame and you would present yourself to them as Father, Abba, Father. 
and you would delight in them and they would know you and they would today, maybe for the very first time in all of their life, they would know a peace that transcends understanding and they would sing and celebrate and weep and dance all at the same time. For what wondrous love is this, O oh my soul.